having a podcast is an amazing quote unquote excuse to reach out and meet new people. Mm -hmm. So if there's an author you really admire, a subject matter expert you want to know better, having a podcast and asking them to come on your show is the best reason to make contact with them. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. CEOs on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you're ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every single day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, we'll be uploading a lesson from today's guest, Molly Beck. On this podcast, Molly and I talk about podcasts. Molly launched Forbes Podcast and founded Messy FM, a podcast creation website. I asked her about her thoughts on the wave recorded audio has represented in the past several years and where exactly the medium might put us culturally and epistemically in the future. She also wrote the book Reach Out, which describes her expert methodology for expanding your network through email. Her philosophy favors using all the tools at your disposal to expand your influence, and her work through Messy and her writing all come together quite neatly to express this. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Cheers. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, and today I'm with podcast entrepreneur Molly Beck. Molly, it's been great having you in our studio today. Thanks so much for joining. This has been so fun. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It's going to get a bit meta because we're talking about podcasts on a podcast. Why should everybody start a podcast? Great question. I truly believe what will happen in podcasting is what happened in blogging, which is at first everyone's just consuming blogs and then you consume enough blogs, you start to think, hey, I want a blog. And now you see, this is like, you know, sort of like 2006, 2008-ish. Everybody starts a blog, 2008 to 2012. But the people now that still have blogs that are major revenue drivers are the ones that got in early. Right now in podcasting, we're in the same place we were for blogs, you know, 10, 12 years ago the people that get into podcasting now will be the ones that have the big audiences, that have the book deals, that have the spinoffs into TV three to five years from now. Mm -hmm. So I said everybody. How about this one? Why should anybody start a podcast? I'm thinking about 
determining one's value that they can give through the medium of sound. So we talked today in our studio, the shoot that we did about starting a comedy podcast, for instance. A lot of people that are MentorBox members, a lot of people in general feel that they have enough to, you know, start their own sort of personal brand, um, give value to the world. What is the process like of determining what that is, choosing what your style may be, um, and then, you know, turning that into something that can exist as a, a sound bite as a podcast? Where does it all start? I think it all starts with the brand you're trying to promote. So is that your personal brand or is that a company brand? Both of them start either way. It's very hard to have a podcast be the entire center of who you are online. Instead, it should be sort of like a leg or a spoke off of the brand that you are looking to to promote, whether that's the company you work for, like MentorBox, or whether that's your own personal brand that you want to sort of start being more active in particular industries. When you think about podcasting, the benefit is is that it's another platform to engage your audience. We're all about multiple touch points. We all know that the more different ways someone can consume your content, the more uh, interested they are in who you are. So people follow you on social. They maybe read your blog. They are interested in coming to your events. They sign up for your service. Now a podcast is another way that they can engage with you. If it's just going to be a leg or an arm or a branch of what you're doing more broadly, can you still start your brand with a podcast? Can it be your your entry point and then you just should have ideas or a formula for how you're going to expand beyond that? Is that a common path that you see? Yeah, I think podcasting is different than blogging. In blogging, it's a little bit easier to like throw up a couple of posts, see what people like. You could take sort of that more ad hoc approach to podcasting, but you're not going to build the audience that you want. Podcasting requires not a ton, but a little bit more planning up front, being really strategic about what is your theme, what is your title, how are you describing the show, who are you having on as guests, um, what are the segments or reoccurring questions you're asking. Thinking of those questions before you launch, the easiest way to do that is to launch with like a 12-episode quote-unquote first season. So think of it as a 12-episode experiment. Who are you having on? Do you like podcasting? Is it easy for you to create the episodes? At the end of 12 episodes, if you realize podcasting isn't for you, that's fine. You have this great 12-episode series. It can live on iTunes forever, and you can be proud of that work. If you're absolutely loving it, your show is getting traction, you want to continue, roll right from season one to season two, and there doesn't even need to be a break between weeks. But sort of just packaging it as a season one is easier for you mentally when you launch. Okay. Stylistically, Podcasts have great variety. I, there are you know brief things that are very successful, and then there are long, verbose discussions that get really deep into politics and ethics and social issues that are also very successful. Do you think this is mostly a, a brand-centered thing that any format can really be successful, or are there guidelines that you offer people for determining how they can best promote their value and be successful as a podcast? Good question. I think there's tons of different genres that work within podcasting. I really think podcasting is a lot like any medium. There's tons of different types of television shows from talk shows to, you know, horror shows across the gamut. There's tons of different blogs. There's tons of different books. 
podcasting is the same way that there's lots of different genres. What you want to think about is the audience that you're trying to build or that already follows you. What is most valuable to them? What do they actually care about? So for MentorBox, you know that you're already talking to successful people looking to level up in their careers and in their businesses. So your podcast is talking to experts in particular industries who can share some tangible tips that will help your already engaged audience be more well-rounded in specific topic areas. It's a it's a perfect match for you. Mm-hmm. Something that I would think about in terms of the style of the show, if you're looking to build your personal brand, is to do an interview style show as opposed to either a solo or just you and a co-host because having a podcast is an amazing quote unquote excuse to reach out and meet new people. So if there's an author you really admire, a subject matter expert you want to know better, having a podcast and asking them to come on your show is the best reason to make contact with them. It's also, podcasting is a little bit of the wild, wild west right now. I have a podcast. I've ran podcasts for huge networks. Very rarely do guests ask you how many downloads or listens do you have? They're more sort of just excited to be on shows. I think that that will change. I think in a few years, people will be very selective about the podcast they appear on. They want to make sure that they're reaching a larger audience. But right now, people are just interested in being on podcasts. It's a great way for you to make some really big connections you wouldn't have had a reason to otherwise. You have a, a very specific method for reaching out that you describe in your book, Reach Out, <laughs> aptly titled Reach Out. Can you explain how that works and why and why it works as you do? You gave a great, very concise explanation to yeah. me earlier of your reach out methodology. So the book is called Reach Out, and it's all about reach out strategy, which is this idea of sending one email every day to someone on the edge of your network. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've been doing since 2012. Every morning at 9.15, I send an email to someone that I don't know well or that I want to know better. And so over the years, it's like roughly 2,100 emails I've sent, and that has completely changed the course of my life. When I started doing that in 2012, I was in a dramatically different place than I am now. And I, it's because other people are the ones that pass you opportunities and new ideas and get together for coffee or birthday parties or become your friends. If you're looking to change your career and by extension your life, you don't need to change everything. You just need to meet some more people that will help nudge you in the right direction. And that's really what the book is about. Mm-hmm. It, the book is that nudge and that tons of super tangible tips how to build that network. Usually what readers like most in the book is that there's tons of templates you can use that are emails. You can literally copy and paste, put in your own information and um, start, reaching, start reaching out. How many of those early on or now or ever were for potential podcast guests? Oh, that's a great question. I didn't really come to podcasting until about 2015-ish, about three okay. years ago. Um, so I would say, I don't know, maybe I would say probably two out of every 10 reach outs I sent are actually about podcast, like being a guest on my specific podcast. But since I run a podcast platform, I spend a lot of time talking to investors and potential customers and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, I talk about podcasts a lot. Interesting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And <laughs> if you're actually interested in seeing how I'm building or build messy, um, I talk about that a lot in the book is how Reach Out Strategy helped me get this company off the ground. Mm-hmm. And speaking of messy, let's talk about 
how platforms and podcasts work. So I think this is something important for folks who are listening to understand. Um, we can address more specifically what Messy is and its value toward the end. But we discussed in our studio today the difference between hosts and what's the other word officially? Hosting services. Hosting services. Yeah. And then what, what is messy? Or is that, is that a Yeah, is that's that a good host? question. So it's confusing because, well, I guess to take a step back, I think most people want to get into podcasting, but they're overwhelmed or sort of confused about the tools you need. Yes. You really only need three tools to start a podcast, mm-hmm. a microphone, a recording and editing software, and a hosting service. The microphone is easy. You can find that on Amazon for under a hundred bucks. Like Blue Yeti is a very popular brand of microphone. You also can always run through your, if you have a laptop that's made post 2011, you can run through your default computer mic. Mm You also need a recording or editing software. And so there are some software programs that are just recording, capturing audio, and then there's some that are recording and editing. Um, This would be like Skype, GarageBand, and Audacity are the three most popular. Um, Skype is just recording, but then Audacity and GarageBand are ways to do some editing. Every podcast, yeah, super simple to use. Every podcast you listen to is for sure edited, and you want to remove those awkward pauses, all of those things. You can watch a couple of tutorials online to get familiar with those services. You also, if you're looking for a way to sort of make it easier, hire an editor and have someone that's sort of well-versed in podcasting to do some editing for you. It's a good way to save some time. And the last thing, which you just touched on, is you also need a hosting service. So let's say you've recorded your episode, you have a great audio file of you and the guest or you by yourself chatting, you need to now distribute it to a hosting service. And this is going to be that some of the most popular are like Libsyn or Blueberry. And these are platforms that actually host that RSS feed where your audio is encrypted. It's a little bit confusing because in podcasting, host means sort of like the owner of the show. And then you also have to host your RSS feed. You can kind of think of it as when you watch a video on YouTube, YouTube is hosting that video so you can see it. The difference is in podcasting, those platforms are not consumer facing. So you wouldn't know the name Libsyn or Blueberry unless you are a podcaster. So why is that? Why is there that divide between consumer facing, uh, you know, like Apple podcasts, versus Libsyn? Why, why are those divorced as they are? Is this a technological thing that's in the weeds? That's or? a great question. So I don't know if I have a great answer to that because my service is both. I'm a hosting service and a directory for people to listen to podcasts. Yeah. I saw that as a gap in the market, which is why I launched Messy. I don't know if you were setting me up to say that, but that is what Messy is, is it marries podcast creation and a directory for people to find podcasts. So that was a gap I saw and looked to fill. Great. Perfect. I'm glad that you did that. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. I was wondering why there was a a bit of a divide there. So when, when somebody is first starting out, they've, they've figured out these basic things. I want you to cover for me. One thing that I really liked is the types of hosts that Mm. we discussed today. There are three of them and I like how you, um, sort of demarcate the differences there. Sure. So there's three types of podcast hosts. Some people sort of blend the lines, but broadly you have experts. These are people that know an industry really well, and they're sharing tips and tricks about this very specific, usually slightly niche industry. You also have interested interviewers. These are people that are interested in a subject, not necessarily experts in their field, but they want to interview people that are doing interesting things within the space. 
the vast majority of podcasts sort of fall into that category. And then you also have journalistic. So these are going to be shows like Serial or Dirty John that are telling stories over multiple episodes. There's like a narrative arc and they're coming at it from a very journalistic point of view. Okay. How do these capture different audiences or do they capture different audiences? Have you Do you have the ability to to look at analytics and, and determine, you know, what these things serve? Is, are some of them truly there for audiences who want to gain information and learn? Are some there for entertainment? And do those audiences roughly look the same? Do they overlap? Do you have any data on that sort of thing? I do not have data on that, but my gut says that people are most interested in who the host of the show is first. Okay. So do they already know who the host is? Is it a celebrity? or they're interested in something that all of their friends are listening to. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see things like Serial or Dirty John or Missing Richard Simmons go so viral because everybody else is talking about them, so they want in on it. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, we talk about comedy podcasts a lot. Most of the time you come to a comedy podcast because the comedian is someone that you're already following or you like and you're interested in them. I would say that I sort of fall into a third type of podcast listener in which I'm very interested in shows that are giving me sort of tips and tricks for moving through life. So a lot of the shows that I listen to are very concentrated around how to do business better, how to do a better job being an entrepreneur. I like that type of content. It's the content that I consume in books as well. I read almost exclusively business self-help. That's what my actual book is about. Um, That's what my blog is about. So usually the content you're consuming elsewhere is what you're also interested in podcasts. Okay. I'm thinking a lot about Netflix. Just you mentioned the age of Netflix earlier. And that has a particular identity. I feel like people, you know, they, they do it primarily for entertainment, but documentaries have, seem to have made a pretty big splash on Netflix more recently. And I'm wondering if there is any sort of trend that you see in what is most popular for podcasts or what might be rising and seeming to kind of take center stage. Have you seen anything like that? Well, from my vantage point, running a podcast creation platform, I actually think we're seeing a rise in solo shows. People that are really interested in sharing their own particular viewpoint, maybe not to a super large audience, Mm -hmm. but to people that already know them or maybe friends of friends, but they're more interested in just having a way to share what they see from their particular point of view on something as opposed to really caring about massive analytics or downloads or really reaching a huge audience. So that's a lot more like a blog, more explicitly like a blog. And you know, when I started Messy, I thought that everybody was going to want to create the next serial and everyone would be talking to me about that. And that really has not been the case. People are just most excited to have a podcast. Yeah. I mean, serial is a lot of work, of course. That's a lot of like investigative and journalistic know-how and access and and time, ultimately. Is that a barrier for some people getting into podcasts, do you think, because they want to achieve something of that sort of opus and they don't feel comfortable just doing their own thing? Is that kind of what you're seeing break away right now? I think that it's... Just get something out there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's actually more like people get... They don't, it doesn't stop them from getting into podcasting. It's that they get three episodes in and get very discouraged because they're like, I'm not getting the numbers that I wanted. 
I will say podcast analytics are private. They're not publicly known. So nobody knows whether your show has one listens or one million listens unless you choose to share that information with them. But I think a lot of people get into podcasting because they come from the web world. They're used to seeing, you know, 50,000 page views on an email click-through rate or on a blog post. And then they start a podcast and they start panicking that they have low numbers. I always say for your launch day of your podcast, you should try to have 100 listens or downloads, however you want to describe it. That is a great metric to hit on your first day, 100. People often think that that number sounds very low. If you smash that and get 5,000, amazing. If you hit 70, hey, you're almost there. The key is that you're creating content on a regular basis. Public projects are what guide brands. Doing consistent things, sharing content on a regular basis is how people know who you are and what your company is about. And sometimes it's about getting that content out there to the right people as opposed to getting that content out there to everybody. What then is the most common growth path for a podcast? Do you see a lot of shows that start small like that and gradually grow, they kind of gain followers and snowball down the hill, if you will? Or do you see something going viral from one episode because something cool happened and then all of a sudden, bam, they have a bigger viewer base? Does that happen a lot? I think it's very hard to go viral on a specific episode. Mm -hmm. Something super outlandish would have had to have happened in that episode to go viral. You can be on podcast episodes that do very well, and a lot of people will say, hey, I listened to your podcast or your episode on that podcast. It did. It was very interesting. But usually that show already has a lot of listeners. I think for the majority of people starting a podcast, the numbers move up, but they move up slowly. And you might have a couple of days where you have bigger hits because you get featured somewhere or you have a really big name guest. But for most people, it's a snowball <laughs> up or down a hill, however you want to look at yeah. it. And some days you are the snowball. Hey, I hate to interrupt this conversation with Molly Beck, but I want to let you know where you can learn more about podcasts. She recorded a full series of videos on creating your own podcast exclusively for members of MentorBox. If you want access to that and much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show. Do you have any good examples of podcasts that you've engaged with or, or worked with directly that had, you know, a sort of generic growth that you can kind of, or not generic, but a, a growth that models this, that you can describe kind of the process that they followed and how maybe that host's feelings were about it. You know, if they had like low hope in the beginning and then they were able to be encouraged and continued, I, I kind of want to get into like a case study maybe and just see kind of what the, the life of a new podcaster might look like. Maybe this is even a great own. question. So... I do know analytics of a bunch of shows, but they were when I was working at Forbes, so I can't share those. And then I do know analytics of shows on Messy, but that is private with those creators. Yeah. So you don't have to share any names. I have, anything, but no, no, broadly. I have a, I have a broadly thing. One one thing that I will say, the show I was a guest on an episode of the Growth Show, which is HubSpot's podcast, oh, okay. and I have never gotten more reach out from a single episode than being on that growth show. So whatever they are doing with their audience, they are super engaged. So if you're looking for a case study of a brand that is doing a really nice job engaging their audience, I would look at the growth show. A podcast that I have never been on, but I listen to often 
is Deas, I don't know how you say it, D-A-I-S podcast with Rachel Hollis. It's one of those tip-based shows where she interviews entrepreneurs and she does a really nice job of encouraging listeners to be part of the community. One thing she says every episode is, if you're listening to this podcast right now, take a picture, take a screenshot on your phone and share it on social. It will help other members of our podcast community remember to listen to this week's episode. Mm -hmm. And it's such a nice way to feel like you're part of a community or part of a tribe. Um, So those are two cases of companies and then individuals that I think are doing good things in the space. Yeah, that's great. Another thing that we talked about that's akin to this is radio, very similar Mm. to podcasting, of course, the predecessor in a lot of ways. I used to listen to a lot of NPR and really feel like I knew a lot of the hosts that were on there. And this is, of course, different because you can't really do call-ins, that sort of thing, in podcasts. Um, the you can do voicemails. You can leave voicemails for someone to play. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like, how does that work? How does the development of community compare to radio for people who might not be as familiar with podcasts as they are with radio? And you know, how local news shows and that sort of thing. Um, how how does it compare? Well, one thing that's very interesting that I did not see coming in this industry is the crossover between radio and podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I sort of expected that radio shows would start taking their epi- taking like episodes and making them into podcasts. But yeah, like yeah. the day that we're recording the show, they just announced this week that um, Anna Ferris's Unqualified, which is a very popular podcast, is now going to be syndicated on iHeartRadio's radio stations. And I hadn't anticipated that there would be sort of like the reverse of that. One thing that I think is a benefit to podcasting over radio shows is that you're not time bound. So you can listen to podcasts whenever it makes sense to you. There are some shows that are very newsy. New York Times does like The Daily or shows that are very sort of news driven for that cycle. But the vast majority of podcasts is evergreen content. You can listen to a show that came out last year and it's just as relevant as if you listen to the one that came out this week. Mm -hmm. So then let's dive into this. It's evergreen content. Mm -hmm. It is sound and it is, what else is it? Well, theoretically, let's think about what podcasts represent and why they have been succeeding as they have. I think that they represent freedom. And people, I think, like the idea that there's no real middleman to podcasting. If you wanted to start a show today, you could. It's not like getting a show on Netflix where you have to have the Netflix as the gatekeeper or getting getting a radio station show or sort of like... All of those things have a have a gatekeeper where podcasting, anyone can start a show. And I think people like that idea that even if the most popular podcasts, their hosts were famous before, there's still this dream that you can start a show and it can totally blow up and change your life. The same way that when you sit down to publish a blog post the very first time, you can have that dream that someday you'll have a book off of it. I also think to add on to this, that sound is really sort of like fitting our lives these days. Like people want to be able to consume content without necessarily having to have their eyes on it. I think people get excited about video as a medium, but the challenge with video is that you almost always have to have your eyes and your ears on it at the same time. It's hard to do other things Mm -hmm. where podcasts are easy to put in when you're at work, when you're doing chores, when you're driving, whatever it is. This is a question that I like to ask a lot of folks that I have on the podcast who are dealing with new media and just in general, I guess or any media. So you've also done an audio book for your book um, and you deal with podcasts directly. A lot of people 
are concerned, or not concerned, but they're predicting and, you know, seeing that books are kind of disappearing as we work into the new generation of technology. And as tech advances, you know, books, paper books kind of just seem dated a little bit. And I studied English literature, so I'm one of those who's like, I like the physical book. But at the end of the day, do you see podcasts as kind of creeping into the space of maybe the mainstream sort of medium as books once were. I've had a lot of conversations about this at a very high level. Sometimes people will actually go so far as to say that, you know, books ultimately could end up being a medium that goes extinct, that that is mostly just like archaeological and isn't consumed in the mainstream anymore. And I see a lot of things like audio and podcasts, even audio books, you know, there's some overlap there. But also video, you know, mentor box, taking books, your book, turning them into videos, that sort of thing. Do you see podcasts as as really um, maybe creeping into that mainstream as an option for consumption of ideas? So many things are coming to mind. <laughs> I want to take books first and then what is podcasts encroaching on? Yeah. The first thing I want to say about books is that the vast majority of people are not actually readers already. So we have this idea that we think everyone reads books. There was just like a skit on some late night show where they asked like a hundred people in LA, what was the last, no, the question was, can you name a book? And most people struggled to name a recent book that had come out. So I think the idea that people are reading books is already somewhat outdated to begin with. Um, The second thing is I think books will always exist, but they will not be the way that the majority of people make money. I have a book. I am proud of the book. I think it came out great. It is not a a massive revenue driver for me. It's more activities off of the book, namely speaking, that make the majority of my income. The other thing I would say is um, in terms of what is podcasts encroaching on, podcasts, I, to my point of view, is that they're actually, their sort of direct competitor is actually music over um, books because that the space where music used to sort of take the place in your car while you're hanging around your house is being replaced with podcasts. And do I think that they're going to take on other content forms? Maybe, but I think we're too early to tell. Podcasting yeah. is still too new to see. And you know what will happen? Podcasting will be hot for 10 years and then something else will come in that we haven't even thought of yet. You think? Well, I think VR and AR, those sorts of things are already kind of showing their their faces. And yeah, saying, we'll we see what happens next. with those. But I, I just love the idea of the narrative of podcasts. And it resembles books in some ways. And I think of Serial, which is one of my all-time favorites, mm-hmm. the first season, of course. Um, it, it's just, it's so remarkable how, you know, you get like the passion of the speaker and you get the sort of inquiry as they're going about the investigation or whatever it is. And, you know, in the case of Serial, it was nonfiction. And this is something that you can't get by reading. You can get it through an audiobook. I mean, you can, you can get it to an extent in the language that is used, and that's always there in voice. But until you really hear the voice, you know, something, something is different about hearing the voice. Let's just say that. And it's, it's remarkable that the decisions made linguistically in a podcast or in, not in an audiobook, but in a podcast, let's say somebody were to write a book and to do a podcast with the exact same topic, the text would be totally different if you did a transcript of the podcast. It would just be totally different. And that brings to mind to me, like, what direction are we headed in for communication at large? Because books at one point 
had such a great influence on our language. Now, is it that audio is going to have that influence on our, on our language? And then maybe is audio, visual, VR, video combination, something like that, going to have the next impact on our language? But would you say that podcasting is is different enough from radio to have had a sort of a different aesthetic impact on how we think and consume information and subsequently communicate with each other? This is a very high-level question, I know, yeah. but this okay. is stuff I like. So I think the first thing that I would touch on is that people are different types of learners. Yeah. So some people are not going to they might listen to a podcast to, to have a, something to listen to because it's interesting or whatever, but in really to absorb knowledge, they want to be reading it like a yeah. visual learner over an audio learner. I think it's awesome that I get actually a surprisingly high number of inquiries from teachers that are either asking their students to create audio projects or want to do some sort of project where their students can listen to their like podcasts at home, mm-hmm. um, which I think is awesome if you are an audio learner and you're growing up today that teachers are thinking about what are other ways you can consume content besides yeah, yeah. just copying off the board. I will say in terms of linguistic style differences, versus audio versus written, I think it, first of all, it hugely depends on the type of podcast that you're listening to. Those podcasts that you referenced, I don't know the behind the scenes of Serial, but I would assume that it's heavily, heavily scripted. It's not like us right now, just riffing no notes. I think that one of the reasons that podcasting, especially that trend I was seeing earlier of solo shows is happening is because people find that writing is a little bit too time consuming for what they want to do. If you want to write a 500 word blog post, it might take you half a day. Mm -hmm. Where if you want to record a 45 minute podcast, it's going to take you 50 minutes because you did five minutes at the microphone and then you talked for 45. So um, it's, it's making it faster to share your voice. It remains to be seen what happens once your voice is shared. And as the space gets more crowded, that will change. But I really can't emphasize enough to your listeners of this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're already super familiar with podcasts. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with business self-help and you care about sort of branding yourself in the world. This is the time to start a podcast. Yeah. I think to clarify my question before, this was ultimately to say, no, not that you didn't answer it, but to make more clear my rambling is ultimately <laughs> that this is a massive democratization yes, of, of audio. Yeah. And yes. instead of, you know, the reason I was talking about language and, and linguistics is because radio voice is a thing. It's like you kind of, or historically, you've always had to sound a certain way and radio voice, you know, historically like that, that very male sort of authoritative tone, which has changed, you know, in the past couple of decades. But there's a, there's, a, there's a norm there as to what a radio voice has to sound like for somebody to be a radio broadcaster ultimately. And, you know, a news broadcaster, there's a sort of normative type of speech Um, that people ultimately kind of assume is, oh, that's how you'd speak correctly, you know, grammatically um, and just vocally. Now we're democratizing the space of audio and saying anybody can do this. And depending on how well it goes, anybody can be as big as a radio broadcaster or bigger, perhaps. And I think that's so fascinating because we're, we're kind of going in the direction that, you know, of course, like blogging, like we talked about a lot, which is all of a sudden the internet is giving 
everybody access to writing and anybody access to reading that writing. So I think this democratization is just like super fascinating. Could not agree more. A very early version of my deck for Messi, the tagline was about democratizing audio. Oh. And just to share more of my story, I started a blog in 2008. Starting that blog changed the trajectory of my entire career and by extension, my life. The reason I was able to start that blog is because Blogspot existed so I could start a blog with no technical or backend knowledge or skills. And that is exactly why I started Messi is I wanted people that were if I was 22 today and wanted to start a podcast and I don't want to have to worry about learning these different platforms or whatnot, messy is the WordPress of podcasts. And I yeah. care very deeply about making it easy for everybody, no matter what your technical skill set is, to share your voice. Great. I'll finish it up with one final question for you. What keeps you up at night? That I'm not doing enough with the gifts I've been given. What do you mean the gifts that you've been given? That I'm not using opportunities as wisely as I could be. Okay. Does this involve podcasting and, and democratizing voices, that sort of thing? No, I've been given lots of gifts. Um, am I not being the best spouse? Am I not being the best parent? Am I not being the best entrepreneur? Am I not being the best daughter to all of these people and opportunities that have come into my life and deserve the best from me. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite book that you read recently, other than your own? Hiding in the Bathroom by Maura Aarons Mealy. Okay, what brought you to that book initially? It's a book about how to network if you're naturally an introvert. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we deal with a lot of people who, who try to Deliver oh, messages hiding in the on bathroom. doing that. It's... No, hiding in the bathroom is awesome. And it's also a lot about how to run a company and also work at a company if you're an entrepreneur um, as an introvert. And it's tons of tips, tons of tips. She started with a podcast called Hiding oh. in the Bathroom. And then that segued into a book, which is exactly what we've been talking about. Great. That's yeah. a really good example to finish on then. That is a good example. Okay, so one more question. Who has been your biggest mentor in your life? Christina Valletta is my mentor, and she's been my mentor for the past eight or so years, and she's been a huge support in my life, everything from starting new ventures to helping me figure out when to leave jobs to working with me on the book to working with her at Forbes. She's been super transformational to me. Are there any particular messages or lessons that she's taught you that really stick out in your mind? She's one of the most joyful people I know. Mm -hmm. And I think often, how could I be more joyful like her? I like that a lot. Great. Well, we can finish up. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. I feel like people often ask, who is your mentor? But since we're on the Mentor Box podcast, I want to riff on this. Mm -hmm. If you have a mentor, you also need to be thinking about who you are mentoring. If you're in a space where you can have access to a mentor, who is behind you that you can be bringing up. So I also want to give a shout out to my mentee right now. I try to do a couple of mentees for a year long process and really work with them. And right now my mentee is uh, Vivian Nunez. She's an awesome content creator online. And I would really encourage someone to check her out as well. Great. I like that finishing message. Always think of who helped you out and who you can help too. All you mentor box folks out there, we know you love to give back. So that's of course a key message. Um, so messy.fm is the website. 
how else can folks find you and your work yeah. on the interwebs? If you want to find me, um, I'm MS Molly Beck, Miss Molly Beck on all platforms. I answer all my emails. So my email is molly at messy.fm. And if you want to jump into podcasting, I hope that you do. And I hope you consider Messy as an option to do that. And the book is Reach Out. And the book is called Reach Out, available wherever books are sold, 4.9 stars on Amazon. Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This is a great shoot, great podcast about podcasting. Um, everybody else, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.